pray. Our great God, we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. Make much of yourself. For Christ's sake, amen. Matthew 121. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Before we end our time together this Christmas Eve, I want to open up this passage briefly and declare something as much as I can. Uh, I'm a weak man, and weekly I preach. But as much as I can, open up the glory of Christ. Here is the joy of Christmas. A baby was born. His name is Jesus. He came to save his people from their sins, and he did it. And he did it. That is the joy of this. Not, not the sentiment of a baby born to poverty and all that, but that a Savior came to save his people, and he was successful. That is the glory of Christmas. In our text, the angel came to Joseph and told him that she, that is Mary, will bear a son. The virgin will give birth. We've been singing about this all evening, right? Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. The child was placed in the virgin's womb by the power of the Holy Spirit. This child is a miracle child. And here we see the prophecy of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 coming to pass. If you'll remember in that verse, we read of God's promise to one day send a man, the seed of the woman, to be born of a woman, and that he would come and crush the head of the serpent, the devil. The serpent crusher would one day come. God promised right at the beginning, right after the fall of man into sin, that he would one day send a man a new Adam, a better Adam, who would fix everything that our first father destroyed with his sin and disobedience. Even from the beginning, God promised that one day a man would be born of woman and he would conquer sin and Satan and right all wrongs. And now the angel says, that's happening. That's happening, Joseph. The seed of the woman is coming into the world. And truly, he was born of woman. The virgin will conceive. There was no man involved. He was born of a virgin, placed in the womb of Mary by the Spirit of God. And let me draw something to your attention. This, this must be said. This means that this child is truly human. Truly human. Now why is that important to us? Because only a man can represent fallen sinful men. God originally covenanted with man, with Adam in the garden, and man broke covenant with God, and man became a rebel sinner against God. And now, we fallen sinners need a man to keep covenant with God on our behalf. Only a man can represent sinful men. Only a true human can represent human beings. Only a man can make atonement for what man has done. And praise God, the child born was truly human, just like us, but without sin, for he was not born of natural generation, but was born of a virgin and therefore uncorrupted by sin in his human nature. Oh, but don't forget this. This also must be highlighted. This child is also truly God. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. I love that line. Veiled in flesh, but nevertheless, God. Though our text does not say it here, the rest of Scripture is abundantly clear. This child is the Son of God. True God of true God light of light, eternally begotten of the Father, eternally God, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Here is, here is the greatest miracle of all time. God, th this beats the resurrection, this beats everything. God, even the Son of God, 
took on human flesh and came to earth. God lowered himself by taking a sinless human nature and uniting it to the divine nature. In this child, God himself has come to us. God has lowered himself to become a creature, to become a human being in order to do good to fallen men. And again, just as his humanity is most necessary for us, him being God is most necessary for us. For while only a man can represent man and write what man has done, only God has the power to save men. Only God himself can save sinners. And so we need a God-man. And this child is the one and only God-man. The Son of God has come into the world, truly human, born of a virgin, in order to bring about all that God has promised to fallen sinners. But the angel doesn't only announce that the child is to be born of a virgin. He goes on to instruct Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, modern hymn says, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There is something about that name. You like that hymn. His name is revealed by the angel here. I like this. God himself has taken the right to name this child away from Joseph, for this child is God's only begotten son, and his name is glorious. Jesus, what is it about that name? It's not just a name as we often name our children, just whatever sounds nice. This name means something. It's actually the Greek equivalent here in our New Testament of the, of the name Joshua. It means God saves. Or more broadly, it can mean Savior. And this is fitting, is it not? For God will save his people through Jesus. As the angel says, Jesus is the Savior. And even more, God saves is a fitting name for Jesus is God. So yes, call him Jesus. Call him Jesus. God saves. No name has ever been more fitting. His name is music in our ears. When we say his holy name, we are declaring he is the Savior. We are declaring that he is the God who saves. But notice that this verse tells us something about ourselves. You and I are not explicitly mentioned here, but this text does tell us something about ourselves implicitly. It says, he will save his people. He will save his people. Apparently, we need saving. We need saving. But from what do we need saved? Well, the text says he will save his people from their sins. Now, that's, that's almost a worthless phrase in our culture. What do you mean, I need saved from my sins? So what is it then about sin that we need saved from? And even if these are old truths, I pray that you would receive them in a fresh way this evening. First, we need saved from sin's penalty. Sin's penalty. This is the great problem of man. We're sinners. We've sinned against the Lord. We have rebelled against his law. We have rebelled against him. We've sought to do our own will instead of his. We've lived our lives as if he did not matter. You say, no, I haven't. Yes, you have. Show me your life for one day and I'll show you that you've lived your life as if he doesn't matter. It's evidenced in our disobedience and our ingratitude towards him. It's evidenced in our lack of love for him. We have said what we ought not, done what we ought not, and thought what we ought not. We have not honored or loved him as we should. We have sinned against him. Allow me to read an extended quote from John Piper. 
He said, what is sin? It is the glory of God not honored, the holiness of God not reverenced, the greatness of God not admired, the power of God not praised, the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not savored, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, the person of God not loved. That is sin. And every single one of us are guilty of sin. And God hates sin. It is an offense to and against him. Please hear me. He will not look the other way. He is holy. He is a righteous judge. He cannot look the other way. For God to let sin go unpunished would be for him to deny himself the justice, or rather his own justice and compromise his holy nature. And that he cannot and will not do. And this makes sin our great problem, doesn't it? When sinful men stand before a holy God, I promise you nothing good happens to men. Only death and eternal damnation await the sinner. We, on our own, stand clothed in guilt before a righteous God who promises to damn the wicked, and we are the wicked. We are unholy. We are sinners. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. And praise be to God, He will save His people from their sins. We need saved from the penalty of sin. Second, we need saved from sin's power. We need saved from the dominion of sin. Men are slaves to sin unless they're set free by Christ. Hear me. Apart from His grace, we can do nothing but sin. Right? We, we do not and cannot please God naturally. We have no desire to obey Him. We are in slavery to sin from the moment we are conceived. But Christ came into the world to set us free from the power of sin so that we might live unto God. So that we might live to please God. So that we might shed our sin and be holy as God created us to be. Christ came so that we might be changed into what we should have been all along. What should have we been? True human beings who love and worship our maker as we were created to do. We are bound in sin and cannot be what God created us to be. We are slaves to the power of sin. But praise be to God, He will save His people from their sins. Third, we need saved from sin's presence. This world is full of sin. We are full of sin. Radically corrupt. When I say radically, I mean to the core. Corrupt. But Christ came into the world in order to save us from the very presence of sin. He came to make atonement for us so that we would be made clean and fit and acceptable to God so that we might dwell with him forever. He came so that after we die, we would be able to behold God face to face in heaven, away from the very presence of sin, away from every temptation to sin, away from the very ability or inclination or desire to sin. And to top it all off, God promises that one day our Lord Jesus will recreate the world. 
He will restore it, and he will restore it to its original state of innocence where sin does not exist and sin can never enter again. Hear me. Our world and our persons are full of sin and wickedness and suffering and pain and horror. But praise God, he will save his people from their sins. The Lord Jesus Christ, again, I say, I'm beating a dead horse on purpose. I'm trying to drive this home. He will save his people from their sins, from the penalty, power, and ultimately the very presence of sin. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. The name of Jesus itself is the very gospel. God saves Jesus is the savior of sinners. Jesus is the savior of his people. But how will he save his people? How will he do it? He will do so by living, dying, and being raised for them. Please, if you're sitting there saying, this doesn't sound much like a Christmas sermon. This is the purpose of Christmas. This is the purpose. The child grows up so that he might do something for us. So that he might save his people from their sins. He'll grow up and perfectly obey God his whole life as man's representative. He will keep covenant with God and fulfill all righteousness on behalf of sinful man. Doing what we should have done all along. So that his perfect obedience can be credited to the account of the one who trusts him. And after living this sinless life, he will offer himself on a cross as our substitute, offering his life for ours, his suffering for our sin. He will take the sins of all of his people upon himself, and he will suffer the wrath of Almighty God on their behalf, in their place. And by doing so, he will secure the forgiveness of their sins for the justice that was due to them will be laid upon him. And he will die the death that they deserve, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of their sins. And he will rise from that grave three days later. He will rise as the victor over sin, Satan, and death, having crushed the head of the serpent. Having made a full atonement, he will be raised from the dead to ever live and make intercession for his people. And he will rise in order to secure the bodily resurrection of those same people at the end of the age. So that their entire persons, hear that, their entire persons, body and soul, will be made new in him. And catch this, he did it. He did it. If he didn't do it, why are you here? This is a waste of time if he didn't do it, but he did. He did it. He was successful. This isn't just a story. This isn't wishful thinking. This is fact. We read of his life, death, and resurrection throughout the scriptures. He did it. He worked and won salvation for his people. And notice this. Please notice this. Our text does not say that he would try to save his people, does it? It doesn't say hopefully he'll save his people, Joseph. No, that's blasphemy. The text says he will save his people from their sins. And he did exactly that. He is no failure. Our Lord Jesus does not try. He came for his people and he saved them. 
Not one for whom he lived, died, and was raised will ever be lost. All for whom he came will be saved. He actually did it. Praise God, Jesus saves his people from their sins. And now we come to a question. Now we come to a question. Are you one of his people? This is, this is the great question. I look out and I know most of you, and I believe that most if not all of the people in this room profess to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, answer this question to yourself. Are you one of his people? Really? Are you one of his people? You know, Jesus came to save only his people from their sins. He did not come to save those who are not his people. What am I talking about? The Father gave a people to the Son to save. And the Son came to earth, took on flesh, and effectively and actually accomplished the work that was given to him. He truly worked salvation for those people who were given to him by the Father in eternity past. His people are saved and will be saved. That is a settled fact that is beyond dispute. He did it, and that's what we're celebrating. But are you one of those people? If you trust in him, then you are one of his people. That's the only way you can know. If you trust in him, if you trust in him, you can know that he came for you. If you trust in him, you can know that you were chosen by God in eternity past for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. If you trust in him, then you can know that you were given to him by the Father to be saved in love and grace upon love and grace. If you trust in him, then you are one of his people that he came to save and actually saved. His people trust in him. His people forsake all attempts to make themselves right with God. They forsake all their good works as the ground for their salvation, all their religion, all their knowledge, everything. They say, none of it. I must have him. I trust only him. They forsake themselves completely. Trust only in him and his work done on their behalf to save them. They turn from their sin, acknowledge that they deserve the wrath of God, but trust that Christ has saved them from their sins. His people trust in him. And that's how you know that you're one of them. So I tell you today, as I come to a close, trust in him. Believe the message of the angel. His name is Jesus. And he will save, or now we can say, he saved his people from their sins. Trust in him. You say, well, I'm already a believer. Keep trusting in him. <laughs> Keep trusting him. And worship him. For he has done for you what you could have never done for yourself. He has done for you what no other could do for you. He is the only God-man. He is the only Savior of sinners. He is the only hope for sinners. Trust him and worship him. May God grant each one of us to trust in the Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you for the gift that is your only begotten Son. We stand amazed that, that God would become a man in order to save sinners. And we worship you. We praise your name. We deserve nothing and you give us everything. 
God, if there's one person here who does not know the Lord Jesus, grant them faith in the Savior. But again, we thank you for the gift of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.